This is what you're fighting for. I mean, every day you're out there. What they're doing is blowing people off. If you continue to look the other way and shut up, then the oppressors, the authoritarians get total control and total power. Because this is just like in Arizona, this is just like in Georgia. It's another element that backs them into a quarter and shows their lies and misrepresentations. That's why this audience is gonna have to get engaged. As we've told you, this is the fight. All this nonsense, all this spin, they can't handle the truth. War Room, Battleground. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. The UN taking a veiled shot at Poland and other countries wow. in Eastern Europe for stepping back from their support. Uh, Poland says yes, they do reserve the right to resume those weapons shipments, but for now, they're pulling them back. Yeah, and you know, Richard, there's an election in Poland in a couple of weeks. It's going to be a heated, heated, just a critical election for the direction of, of, of Poland's democracy. Um, that said, uh, Zelensky could have picked a better time to start criticizing people in Eastern Europe. I know, I know when we were given $40 billion, I, I remember one time saying on the show, you know what, just saying thank you, just saying thank you might be a good start. I understand what he's going through, but you look at the history, you look at what Winston Churchill did with FDR, how he constantly worked him, constantly lobbied him, constantly played him, constantly, it was all over him and, 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 and keeping FDR in the game. It meant the survival. I will say Zelensky uh, time and again insults a lot of allies that are giving him billions of dollars and the polls finally said enough. I think, again, the polls will, will come back, but if you we all remember the beginning stages of the wars, Poland literally threw open its door to millions and millions and millions of Ukrainian refugees. Nobody was more open, no, no, nobody was more supportive. So yeah, this is a really bad development. It's bad development, but Poland will continue to transship all the arms from other places. It's, you're right, it's about the elections coming up, cheap grain coming from Ukraine, Polish farmers unhappy with it. But, but Joe, I think there's a larger story going on here. Mm -hmm. this is, there's a bit of war fatigue. We're seeing it in Poland, refugee fatigue. You're seeing it in Washington. We're seeing that the counteroffensive, quote unquote, is not going to deliver liberation of territory anytime soon, if ever. There's a gap increasingly between the war aims of Ukraine and what's happening on the battlefield and the patience of other places. The Stop. Just in Memphis, just do me a favor. Hold it right there because it, it's my head's is blown up. It's perfect. Uh, it's Friday, 22 September, the year of 2023. In Memphis, I'm going to probably ask if my crack production team here in Memphis, I'm, I'm going to want to replay that one when the guy starts talking about war fatigue. Think about it for a second. You've had 50,000 casualties in Ukraine. Women, children, young men and women that have volunteered to fight. And sometimes been Shanghai to fight, but to fight for their country. 50,000 dead. That's not my number. It's not Ben Harnwell's number. We're going to have Beatrice von Storch on here in a minute from the Alternative for Deutschland. It's not her number. That's the number of the Pentagon of which in the New York Times of which of which uh, the Ukrainians agree with is another 125,000 wounded, 150,000 wounded. And I'm not sure those numbers even incorporate what's happened in this uh, what's happened in this uh, in this counteroffensive. Okay, I'm not sure it's it's in the counteroffensive, counter, all in the counteroffensive. And look at them right there. All the people that goaded them into this, you know, I think there's some war fatigue. What fatigue have you got? 
sitting there with your cup of coffee and Ponte. What fatigue do you have? What fatigue? Please tell me. Morning, Mika. Morning, Joe. This is how awful and evil these people are. The, 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 this, is, this, is, this is what they are. Okay? This is what they are. They sit there, like Mer- Professor Mersheimer says, and they've led them down the primrose path, as we've said on this show from the very beginning of this war. And now that's getting tough, oh, you know, there's war fatigue. No. We had the fatigue immediately because we told you this was going to happen. You know, there's some, this is the knitted brow. These are your betters. These are your betters. Sitting there with the knitted brow, you know, there is some war fatigue in the capital. There's not war fatigue in Poland. And this is not about a political uh, campaign that's coming up. The Polish farmers don't want to be destroyed by the cheap Ukrainian wheat. This is they're trying to put their country first. Also, they're giving tremendous benefits to Polish people who don't have that kind of money. Don't have this kind of money. This is what being a, 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 a Catholic nation of giving, and nobody gives more than the Poles in, in their history. Look what's happened to them. They gave tremendous benefits. They gave, they gave uh, health care and education and all of it to the, what, a couple of million um, refugees that went across. We told everyone this was going to happen. I would love, you know, I would love to have the 50,000 dead. The 50,000 dead. Watch what we just saw right there. And there's more to come. And we'll play in a second, Ben. But I got, we got Beatrice up here. There's so much going on in Europe that's inextricably linked to here in the United States. And obviously vice versa. But I, I need you. You're, you're a guy in Rome that's done the best of, of, of keeping your eyes on what's happening in Europe. I can tell you from a fairly ringside seat in the United States with people there on the inside and were there. This was a catastrophically disastrous visit by Zelensky. He very foolishly, because he doesn't have a lot of common sense, not in a million years should he have come to Washington. It was stupid enough for him to go to the United Nations. He should have just stayed there, gratitude, worked on the counteroffensive, coming here, it's the death knell of the Ukrainian support. The number is going to be zero. There are going to be huge fights, and even Democrats are going to peel away. Biden's going to peel away because the, the tide's turned. Everybody's now listening to what we're saying and what Gates and these other people are saying. It's no more Ukrainian funding. MTG, who's really had uh, uh, McCarthy's back, she was the deciding vote on the defense budget. And she said, until you take the $300 million out of the, of the $880 billion defense budget, $330 million out, I don't even want to come to the floor. That's how worked up people are in this. Ben, give us your perspective. I say it was catastrophic. Uh, he, uh, nobody wanted a photo op with him. Um, McCarthy's guys, no meetings, no big meet, no, no general talking even to the Republican Congress or people in the House. And even people that were there with him saying it was just, he, he's tonally deaf. Uh, your assessment, sir. Well, Steve, uh, good afternoon to you. My first question here is, wasn't there anybody in the administration telling Zelensky on the phone, don't come, do not come, now is not the time to come, it's going to go, it's going to be counterproductive, it's going to go against you. Was there nobody there in Washington, D.C. feeding him that message? And if that message was going through to him, then the obvious question is, is that he chose deliberately 
uh, to disregard that advice and to come anyway. And then, therefore, I would say here he owns the responsibility for the, for the consequences of this. Because this, you know, we said back in July in Vilnius, at the, um, in the annual NATO conference in, in Lithuania, we said in real time, the very day that conference took place, and there was the photo there of all the heads of state and heads of government. And Zelensky was there in one moment. He was just standing there on the stage by himself. That, that spawned a thousand memes, that photo, in and of itself. But we said that very day, this, this program said, this is the moment in the future we're going to look back and say this is the moment that NATO started to pivot away from its support of Ukraine. And these are the, the follow-on consequences of that. And I think it's absolutely clear. You know, just to, 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 to say, to give a bit of background to what's going on in Poland right now, they're, they're, earlier on this year, their wheat imports from Ukraine, uh, and you, Poland is largely an agricultural economy still, their wheat uh, Imports from um, from Ukraine exploded by 600 percent, and you can imagine what that will do to the productive uh, agricultural base of, the, of that economy. And it's therefore only sort of natural that a government that isn't comprised of sociopaths, that is trying to stay close to the people, will respond to that that anger there that is latent in the Polish people. So when Richard Haas says, "Oh, you know, there might be a bit of uh, Ukraine fatigue," you know. I'll I, I flag up if Memphis wants to produce my, my first article while I'm talking here. Um, the BBC is pushing the same line. It's, it's, you know, there's a there's a bit of Ukraine fatigue. It's not Ukraine fatigue in and of itself. Because, uh, we, 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 ind we indicated a year and a half ago what the consequences are going to be. It's, it's a case that there's on the 15th of October, Steve, there's an election in Poland. And the Law and Justice Party, the present governing party, the PIS, they're neck and neck. Uh, right, it, 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 it's going to be a close run thing. Um, and there's a party, and everyone says that the law and justice are extreme right and far right. There's actually a, a party further to the right um, of law and justice called Confederate yeah. uh, They're on 10%. So, for their own survival, Steve, this government has to now start responding to the anger in Poland. You know, after the break, I'm going to. Uh, come back and talk about that. And it's not only in Poland either. You asked me every other day, you know, what's going on in Europe? What's that? What's going on in the, in the capitals? We are really starting to see now, and I would suggest to some extent it is related to what's going on in the United States. We are, we are really starting to see a fight back now in, in Europe's capitals. And it's really sort of breaking out in the, into the public over, over this last week. Let me get. I'm gonna come back and we're getting more into Ukraine, and we'll talk about this populist, uh, the populist right, because now, of course, I think it's the FT's got to blame us. We're gonna be the ones to take down. We're the biggest. We're the biggest problem to climate change. We're gonna talk about. We got Dave Walsh on here too. Talk about Kerry and all of it. But I want to bring in uh, Beatrice Ben Storch, the deputy uh, chair of Alternative for Deutschland. First thing, Beatrice, tell us how. T t tell us how. Um, Hang on for one second. Is she ready to go? Okay. Uh, do we have, we don't have Beatrice? Okay, fine. I'll go back to Ben. Dave, just hang her for one second. Um, the, um, ben, on this, uh, on the populist right, the first question I got for Beatrice is that how did she come, how, how did they come out of nowhere and become the number two party? I mean, you're seeing the populist right, but Alternative for Deutschland was marginalized. Remember, you and I spent a lot of time in Europe Trying to trying to build this coalition is now coming together, but they were the ones that were most marginalized. I remember I went to Berlin, 
They were the most marginalized as, you know, neo-fascists. They were they were anti-immigration. They're anti-human. And now they're the second biggest party in Germany. Well, they got that way. You, you asked the question, how did that happen? How did they come from nothing to being the second uh, largest party? And it's because the mainstream parties ignored the German people. It's as simple as that. They ignored them. They persisted in ignoring them for long enough. And in a certain way, politics is like the free market, isn't it? If there's nobody there supplying a want and a need in the market, a supplier will arise. And that's exactly what's happened with the, with the alternative for Deutschland. They started responding to an anger and disgust in the German people that the locked in establishment parties, the Christian Democrats and the Social Democrats, uh, refused even to recognize existed because, you know, you know, you know this, these are the skinheads, these are the Nazis, the uh, We'll, do, you know, we'll, we'll put a cordon sanitaire around this section of the population and we'll just ignore them because, you know, they're, they're deplorables and all the rest of it. But of course, they're not. They're ordinary, Germ they're ordinary German working people who have this romantic notion that a government should put their interests first regarding the inter regarding uh, interests of other people. For example, the, the million or, or so um, supposedly uh, asylum seekers that, that Germany accepted in one year alone under Angela Merkel. That sort of created the massive anger that was there in Germany. And people like Beatrix von Stock, who is excellent, um, by the way, uh, her Alice Weidel, they came in and, and they've responded to this anger. And that's what's happening all, all, all across Europe now. There's an article, Steve, in The Economist, which, which has an, an amazing fact, right? And this just basically shows, I think, how the war room um, and, and the economic nationalism that we've been spearheading here has really been uh, ahead of the curve. But the, here's the situation in continental Europe. This is, and I, and I quote The Economist here, um, our calculations show that 15 of the Europe's European Union's 27 member states now have hard right parties which have support of 20% or more in opinion polls. That is to say, almost four-fifths of the EU's population now live in countries where the hard right commands a loyalty of at least a fifth of the public. And that, Steve, that is only going to grow. I agree with you 100%. I think the Ukraine situation brought out. Ben, hang on. Uh, and uh, Dave Walshanger, we got a lot to get to. I think Beatrice is, I think she's up. Beatrice, uh, do we have? Yes, there you are. Deputy yes, Head Alternative I for Deutschland. <clears throat> Beatrice, here's the first question. You know, our audience, we've put up a lot of stuff on Getter and follow you closely. But tell us in your own words, because you guys have gone through some tough times. How did, how did you guys come back to be the second biggest party now in all of Germany? Well, first of all, all the party is performing per performing very good, but uh, to be honest, uh, it's just the governing who's just ruining, it's just destroying our country, and people are just fed up with this. Uh, the biggest issue is migration, and they don't want to stop it. Uh, no, they, they are increasing the numbers of migration, and people just realize that's impossible. We, ca we can't bear any more migrants. So that's the first thing. Uh, then they want to put climate change first, and they are just not focusing on the interests of the people. They are now, they just came up with a law which will force every private house owner to invest something like 100,000 euros uh, to reinstall a new heating system, even though there's a working one in the house. So they are, they are just not meeting the people's interest and the country basically stops of being a functioning first world country. This is what the people have the impression and this is why we're 
number two in the whole of the Federal Republic of Germany, and we are the number one in the eastern states of Germany. The, the economies also, I think that Germany's either in a recession or leading Europe into recession. Talk to us about the overall economic and how the governments manage the economy. Well, they're managing the economy and uh, driving them out of Germany. So we have seen something like 140 billion euros who have been euros who left Germany because uh, the the uh, industry and economy uh, they do not want to invest the money any longer in Germany because that will definitely mean you will lose your money um, because we are declining we are you know we are shortening the supply of, of energy um, the price is just up. Uh, 100% uh, again, even though it has been up 70% when uh, after after Merkel's govern, uh, governance. Um, so it is no longer possible to run your industry here with with reasonable energy prices. Uh, there are a lot of things which are not good for for German economy, and uh, basically the government is doing the contrary of what it should do. And this is why our numbers going up and up and up the whole time. Even though the whole media is, 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 is running a huge campaign against us, they call us all kinds of, of unnice things, stupid things. Um, we are extremists in, in what kind soever, but uh, people realize that that's not true. And that's the cover basically, the government is, is extremistic in all policy areas, what they address. But it's not just the media. I mean, people should know, uh, and you and your husband are two of the bravest individuals. I remember Jason went over to visit with you, Jason Miller, who's now senior vice of President Trump, spent a lot of time with you guys. Uh, the pressure you're under, not just from the media, but the government actually steps in and treats Alternative for Deutschland like it's some sort of bandit party, does it not? It does. And it declares even openly that they, they do so. We've got a secret service which is run by our political opponents, and they're coming after us um, with these measures. So, so they declare us to be, you know, the enemy of the constitution. And um, this is why, you know, they spy on our iPhones and, and whatsoever. Um, but you know what? People are just bored with that. People just don't, I, they're not so much interested in that any longer. Um, the Secret Service has lost its credibility, and people realize that something has to change and there is a majority within the well, i mean former right-wing conservative liberal parties and the the main problem uh what we can see in germany is that there is there could be a reasonable majority uh center right uh but the cdu the former Merkel's chancellor's party um they they are trying to you know govern again uh, with the greens um, so it's the conservatives who are not trying to, to form a, a coalition or a government with us, but with the Greens or with the left. And so we are heading towards a very bad situation, which is fueling our, our numbers wider. We are going up and they will go down. But this is the same thing I would call the Christian Democrats, just like the Tory party in England and just like the Repu traditional Republican Party in the United States. They are, they are essentially part of the – they're working for the Uniparty now. <coughs> against a populist, a populist, uh, whether that's alternative for Deutschland, whether it's the uh, Brexiteers in the Nigel Farage group and thing, or whether it's MAGA in the deplorables under President Trump. In fact, I want to get to that point. The Economist this week, I think the lead story, they're in shock. They're, they're clutching their pearls 
because they say there's the rise of this populist right. Uh, and of course, leading that article uh, of which the economist is, is shocked and very nervous about is is uh, alternative for Deutschland. And of course, the Law and Justice Party that's going to have these elections in November in, in Poland. Um, talk to us about what's happening. Why across the continent? And you're one of the leaders of this, but you see Salvini, you see Le Pen, you see a resurgence in the right, uh, a new energy, a new urgency. And now you're having people, there's this report the other day that up to one third, I think, of people actually are open to vote for people on the populist right. And as Ben just said, even in the Economist article, I think they said that 20 percent of adults of, vo- of citizens in countries will actually end up voting for the populist right. What, what, what's the reality and why is the economist so shocked? Like this, this is the worst thing that's happened since the rise of, uh, of Hitler and uh, Mussolini in the 1930s. I think what we can see is just basically to make a long story short, people are just fed up with this leftist, workist, um, you know, anti-rational, stupid policy in all areas. They're just tired. They see that it doesn't function it's against humanity. It's just insane. And, um, well, basically, it doesn't function. And people, are, they, they do not trust in what they are told any longer. And they can see with their own eyes that the country is no longer functioning. You know what? I, I was traveling with a train last week, what I never done for a very long time. The train system in Germany basically is broken. You cannot go any longer with a train and be sure you be there on time. Our system is no longer able to keep the trains working correctly. Very easy things. And people realize it. And so they stop listening to what they are told they should do. And they do what they think is correct. And what is correct is the policy which has been offered by all those right-wing populistic parties in all over Europe and the ones in Germany to address this is the AFD. Beatrice, there was a piece in, uh, in Gateway Pundit this week. You know, this we had this uh, global governance uh, meeting at the uh, at uh, the UN on the 20th. We were uh, big in the United States of putting forward how we've got to stop this, how we got to stop it through Congress. Uh, I know you had a piece and you talked about actually the banners that might be in back of all this, the WHO. All this. Can you walk us through this piece? Because I got to tell you, it got a lot of coverage here in the United States. Walk us through your your, your piece about this WHO global governance and the billionaires in back of this. What we know is that the the World Health Organization is now trying to, you know, come up with a policy change and they want to stop pandemics from from spreading. So they want to take all the powers of the governments of the world to take the, the, the right de- decisions to stop pandemics from, from, from growing in the world, which basically means um, they want to have the power which has been in the, in the hands of the, of the national governments and to take themselves the decision um, what to be done uh, to fight some kind of, of pandemic. And this is frightening because the World Health Organization is has not been elected by anybody there is no there's no kind of democratic 
um, uh, legitimation of of the World Health Organization. Um, uh, it's it's just a combination, an organization set up by you know private organizations, funds like 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 uh, Rockefeller and and Bill and Melinda Gates foundations and so forth in some countries, of course. Um, but it has not. It's not in. It's not a democracy, and they want to take the decisions, and they want to oblige all member states to follow their rules. I think that's dangerous, and we have to talk about it, and we have to make people aware that they are at the very moment preparing, um, to taking basically the power of the parliaments of the world, um, to the General Secretary of the World Health Organization, which is uh, this Ethiopian, you know, Marxistic, Leninistic, uh, uh, part, um, Puchist, uh, the one who took, they, 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 they took the power into Ethiopian by a plot. And this guy um, wants to govern uh, and wants to decide what's going on in Germany and other member states. I think that's frightening. This is frightening. And we have to first of all, start to talk about it and get to people's awareness that we have to very closely focus what the WHO is planning and then we have to go against it. Real quickly, we got about a minute. And I want to hold you through the break, but it, it, the Christian Democrats, the Tories in, in, in London and a lot of the, the rhino Republicans here, have no problem with the loss of sovereignty. Why, why is a party supposed to be center-right like the Christian Democrats? Why do they have no problem with this? I didn't get, I, sorry, I didn't get that, that, that question. Again, please. I, I tell you what, why, why, why don't we wait to the break because I want the answer to this. So the, the question is, uh, and we got to go to break, it seems like when you talk about these issues of sovereignty and these, in these transnational organizations backed by billionaires like WHO, that the Christian Democrats in, in Germany, the Tories in England, and a lot of the traditional rhino, rhino Republicans here have no problem with this. It, it, it is always kind of the populist yeah. right that sits up and says, hang on, our sovereignty is absolutely critical. I tell you what, we're going to go to a commercial break. Why don't we hang on? We have Beatrice yeah. van Storch, the deputy of Alternative for Deutschland. That's now the number two party in Germany, and that is causing an uproar. The Economist this week has a huge story on the rise of the populist right in Europe, and let's say they don't, the economist does not view that as a positive thing. I've got Dave Walsh here, is going to tell us about John Kerry, all of these efforts at the UN, all these efforts in the Capitol to implement exactly what they've done in Germany here in the United States of America. He's beaving away. Of course, uh, our own Ben Harnwell, we're going to have a deeper dive on this Ukraine situation and how it's coming apart here, the funding of it in the United States of America. Short commercial break, back in the war room in just a moment. I am the last person on earth to nag you about your diet. I think you can see I don't always make the healthiest food choices either. But I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't. And you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens every morning. Unlike the others, each fruit and each vegetable and field of greens was medically selected by doctors to support 
your vital organs like heart, lungs, kidneys, and immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast. You feel better with more energy, and you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Now let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code Bannon. That's promo code Bannon at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com. More energy, you'll look better, you'll feel better. And you'll get what the Mayo Clinic says is what you need in fruits and vegetables every day. Fieldofgreens.com. Code Bannon. Take agency. Do it today. Action, action, action. For War Room veterans, you know we have been all over this supply chain issue with China and medications and the uh, active pharmaceutical ingredients. China has a stranglehold on us where there's a way to break that. Jace Medical. I got an emergency medication kit from them. The FDA just declared a global shortage of medication and warned that critical antibiotics are in stream short supply across the United States. But you know that because you're a viewer or listener of the show. Now, here's the action you can take to correct. Do yourself and your family a favor and get your Jace case right now. It's a pack of five prescription antibiotics you'll have on hand for common emergencies. Just visit jacemedical.com. That's Jace, J-A-S-E, jacemedical.com. Take a few minutes and fill out the form. Your information will be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medication will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. You'll be glad you have the Jace case. Go to Jace Medical. That's one word, J-A-S-E, medical.com, and enter code Bannon at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code Bannon at Jace, J-A-S-E, medical.com. You know what the problem is because you've watched the show. You can break, you can take action and break that problem by going to Jace Medical and get your Jace case today. Action, action, action. You should choose an air purifier like your life depends on it because it just might. More than 35,000 wildfires have devastated the U.S. this year. The toxins and particles in wildfire smoke can penetrate our lungs and threaten our health. That's why EnviroCleanse developed military-grade air purification for your home. And they just announced their biggest sale of the year. Save a massive 30% off during their Labor Day sale. EnviroCleanse is specifically designed to wipe out airborne chemicals and viruses known to cause illness, allergies, and difficulty breathing. Even toxic gases and particles found in wildfire smoke are no match for EnviroCleanse. That's why the Department of Defense chose EnviroCleanse to protect the air on board our Navy combatants. And EnviroCleanse comes with a free professional air quality monitor so you know your family's breathing purified air. Now's the time to save 30% off your air purification unit. Get the free air quality monitor and fast free shipping. That's a 250 bucks savings. Visit ekpure.com and use code Steve. That's ekpure.com, code Steve. Let me repeat, ekpure.com, code Steve. ekpure.com, code Steve. Take action, use your agency, Do it today. Get the benefits of the sale.
War Room Battleground with Stephen K. Bannon. So, Beatrice, why did the Christian Democrats in Germany, the Tories in England, and the Rhino Republicans in the United States, why are they not concerned about the sovereignty of these nations with these transnational organizations backed by billionaires that you at the Alternative for Deutschland, they're supposed to be this radical right party. Why, why is the Christian Democrats not concerned about the sovereignty of the German people in the nation state of Germany? I think there are different reasons. I think some are just stupid. Um, I think some might make a lot of money out of it. Who knows? And the third thing is that they are not so much in favor of, of, of dem- democracy. I mean, we're very much in favor of democracy, and we think it is very good to have sovereign nation states to take their own decision. Um, and if, you know, the people do not want uh, the government anymore, they, they can vote for another one, uh, which means they, they, they keep the sovereignty. And um, some of those so-called conservatives, I don't know, I think they're not so much in favor of this idea, and they just, they're very happy to give away sovereignty and to have others to take unpopular decisions, maybe, to fight pandemics uh, like the way we have seen it with COVID. So I think they're different. They're different explanations. And some, I think, are just not reading the treaties. They're just not aware of what is going on. They're just walking around and they, 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 they call it all a conspiracy theory, what they have not even read, what they have not, might not have understood. Uh, I don't know. I think there are several, several reasons. Um, but I can tell you that there's one party in Germany, which is alternative for Germany, which is very much aware of what is going on. We do read what is going, what is planned by the World Health Organization. We do understand what's going on. We communicate it loud and clear and tell the people, be aware, we cannot have this take take of the power of the WHO. Um, And we address the problem and uh, all the problems we have addressed in the past, migration, inflation, economy, climate change, we tell the people before what will happen if we follow the government. Now we're doing the same thing with the uh, WHO um, pandemic plans. And I hope we succeed and we open the eyes of the people and we have to stop them because we are we are trying to keep our national sovereignty and our democratic state in the way it is. Uh, Beatrice, how do people follow you? What's, what's your social media? What's the website that people can go and find out more? Because you're one of the leaders in this movement of sovereignty and uh, self-determination of people, of citizens throughout the world I'm on uh, in our nation states. I'm on where, where do people go? I'm on Facebook, on Telegram, on Instagram, I always with my name, Beatrix von Storch. Thank you for asking. Beatrice, thank you so much. And great job in Germany. We're so proud of, of the you. efforts. We know you guys have been under a tremendous pressure. Honored to have you on here. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. So, Dave Walsh, I, I want you to come in. You, you warned us for two years that this was happening in Germany, and now you have one of the leaders of the opposition party that is growing leaps and bounds. And why is it growing, Dave Walsh? Exactly what you said was going to happen, that people are just not going to sit there in an advanced industrial state 
and you're the first guy to say it. You're saying, hey, Steve, what they're actually doing is deindustrializing. They're using their energy policy to do it, but they're going to deindustrialize. Give me your give me your thoughts on, on, on Beatrice and what's actually happening in Germany right now. Well, they announced in the second quarter um, negative growth of 0.2% GDP. They're forecasting in the third quarter zero growth. Uh, consumption, uh, personal consumption declined in the second quarter, which is remarkable in Germany. And the basic issue is the, the major industrials, Bayer AG, BASF, BMW, Siemens Energy, uh, ThyssenKrupp, all heavily dependent on energy inputs, electricity specifically, to be competitive manufacturers. Have, have systematically moved, and more now recently, a lot of announcements of moving programmatically to China, to India. In the past was South Carolina, North Carolina, Siemens Energy's biggest factories in Charlotte, BASF, BMW, out by Spartanburg, South Carolina. Energy costs there, electricity, historically, six, seven, eight cents per kilowatt hour. Germany, before the crisis, 45 cents, now double that. So these, these companies that make heavy industrial products cannot make them in Germany. The cost of the electricity inputs are simply too high. And that drives unemployment in Germany. It drives GDP decline. And that's what they're seeing. And that's why the rise of the AFD is occurring. It's, it's about people and it's about the interest of people, not in industrial decline, such as John Kerry running around promoting on the Morning Joe this morning, vis-a-vis -vis his discussion about China. Okay, I this is, uh, we don't have time to pay, play the clip, but the, one of the points I'm trying to make is that Germany is just X amount of years ahead of us. It, it carries plan, and this plan is so radical. And what upsets me so much on Capitol Hill is we are not having, you're having a more of an adult conversation here in Warman with you uh, and with Ben and with Beatrice than you have up there. This plan that Kerry is putting forward and that the private equity guys are talking about, and it's, it's in the heart of the Biden energy plan. It's one of the reasons our economy is so screwed up. The plan Kerry's talking about is actually as radical about deindustrialization as the plan in Germany. Is it not, sir? It absolutely is. I mean, we, we laid out before the, the forecast of rapid adoption of renewables in the U.S. Uh, to 2030 will cause the building of about 700,000 uh, uh, megawatts of solar and wind, which when you restate that because of its part-time value, part-time energy value, wind about eight hours a day, solar on average about five hours a day, you're really talking about roughly 200 megawatts of electricity being 200,000 megawatts being added, which with the 100,000 in coal shutdowns forecast to occur brings us to only about 4.3 percent in electricity growth over a nine year period out to 2030. So we're, while we're talking about EV adoption, we're talking about gas to electricity conversion for heating in the northeast, Midwest. The, the, the numbers don't work on this because these energy sources, be it solar and wind, are and, and battery storage, a four-hour-a-day technology, they don't work 24 hours a day. The, the net electricity capacity of this stuff at an enormous cost is far, far lower than conventional coal, gas, and nuclear. And, and no, one's, no one's really talking about this, leading to the energy shortage we have in Texas, growing in MISO and PJM. Coming to visit Florida soon, California for years now already, massive shortage of electrification because of over-adoption of part-time resources and the shuttering of 24-hour-a-day of resources, being nuclear coal and, and now increasingly gas. Like I said, we don't have time to play a clip, but Kerry is talking. He's pitching like 
we're falling behind China because they're getting they're becoming leaders in sustainable energy. They're building more coal power plants than ever. I want you to give the number. Bloomberg just yeah, he, came out yesterday and said he's going to put a half, half a billion dollars, a half a billion dollars. This is another guy worth $70 billion. He's going to put a half a billion dollars of cash money to shut down every coal plant, every coal plant and every coal mine in the United States of America. So who's right? Is Kerry right? Is Kerry the, is China really the leader in, in sustainable energy or are they not stealing a march on us on coal production and, and, no. and using coal to produce cheap energy? He misstated and conflated facts. China is in its zeal to grow industrially and militarily is growing energy resources of all types. Number one, coal. Between 2021 to 2026, their plan is to add 758 gigawatts of coal assets. Yes, about 800 gigawatts of renewables. But when you restate those numbers for their energy production value, China's adding net 700 gigawatts of coal and 244 of renewables. When you restate the renewables from rating plate values down to their actual energy production. So they're adding in, in a six, five year period out to 2026, 2.2 times more coal. Last year, they announced plans to build two coal plants a week. Uh, in two, 2023, they're building six out of seven coal plants in the world. They're, they're radically growing their coal infrastructure. Today, they're 60% dependent on coal which is a local indigenous resource, as they're announcing their need to be independent, to be self-sustaining within their own country. They're about 3% gas-fired, so 63% fossil-powered. At this time, only about 12% classic renewable solar and wind, about 13% hydro. And But what they're growing also that the West is not doing is a nuclear base. 57 nuclear reactors being built in the world, 21 of those in China, 37% of them. And of those reactors, by the way, 44 of the 57 are being built in BRICS nations or in the global south. 44 of 57 reactors in the world. The United States and Western Europe are building exactly two. Two. Just to show you, because the Sierra Club. It's ridiculous. They understand what it takes for economic growth. And this is this whole thing. They want this whole burden of this cult of climate change on the American people. Hang on for one second, Dave. I want to bring in Ben. Ben. You've been in the European Parliament, but when you see, and this, this is the question for you, these center-right Christian Democrats, Tories, these radical energy policies, the climate cult, and also kind of ceding their, their, our sovereignty, their sovereignty to things like the WHO. I mean, this was the whole Brexit fight was about to get England out of the EU. Why is it that traditionally conservative uh, governments and conservative governmental apparatuses are a, a, a huge part of the problem now. And that's why you're seeing the growth of the populist right, sir. Um, well, I divide that question into two quick parts. The first part is why is environmentalism a priority for the internationalist institutions? And then I'd say, why is this affecting the, the centre-right political parties? To answer the first part of that, it's because in, the environment is one of those things which you know, we're all uh, nationalists here on this show, but the environment... To, to the extent that, that the environment legitimately can be a concern. And I'm not talking about climate change or anything like that. Um, but the environment is something which requires a supranational uh, coordination, collaboration. Uh, and the international institutions buy into that and use that like shoehorn to justify basically taking over all areas of the economy, which is what they're now doing 
under the guise of man, man-made climate change. Why the centre-right political parties are buying into that is, is really due to the collapse, I think, of the, the concept of freedom and li- liberty after, ironically enough, the fall of the Berlin Wall, which concentrated people's minds in the West exactly what they were fighting against, which is sort of state-run socialism, communism. Once that wall fell, it's not that the world learned the lesson that, that state management of the economy fails. It's that we, uh, in, in the so-called free countries, we lost the, 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 the focus on why we believe in liberty and personal responsibility so much. And losing that focus, which is ironically something that the communists within, within our societies have never done, they never lost their sense of focus. They carried on just as if, as if the whole of the fall of the Berlin Wall passed them by. And therefore, the centre-right political parties uh, ever, you know, what kind of politician, knowing as we do that our politicians are sociopaths, what politician will decline the opportunity should they lose their seat at the national level to then to be bumped upstairs and earn sort of factors more in terms of the salaries and perks that are available at the supranational level, at the European Parliament, for, for, for example? What, 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 you know, what, what kind of person would do that? Well, you know... You really need someone who, like, like Nigel Farage, who, who, when he was in the European Parliament, agitated to lose his own job uh, via the, the Britain's exit from that, from the, from the European, um, from the European Union. We don't elect politicians. Nigel Farage, Beatrix von Storff, they're exceptions. Yeah, we have to accept some responsibility of, of ourselves that we're electing politicians, even um, you know, in the centre right, even in economic nationalist right, we are electing representatives, and we're still doing it, who, you know, who aren't really part of our movement and want to champion our causes. And the moment they get to the capital, is them, you know, they don't have to sell out because they were never part of the deal. Ben, uh, real quickly, I, I, I'm going to get you back on hopefully tomorrow about Ukraine, if not on, on Monday. But is part of this the loss of faith in, in, the, in Western Europe, the Judeo-Christian West, that now... Because this, the moves on this uh, climate change are so radical in deindustrializing advanced nations. Is this cult really replaced to the elites, uh, the spirit of what the Catholic faith and the Christian faith provided for millennia? Yeah, I, I, I'd say so that's pretty much true. You know, you mentioned before that I, that I worked in the European Parliament. And I did about sort of 15, 10, 15 years or so ago. And I remember there watching how... The, the former red parties, the communist parties, the same politicians who'd been there agitating sort of for, for, for communism in, in, the, in the 80s, um, they just switched from red to green. And I, I remember thinking, you know, and they just carried on shamelessly. They just changed their, their political affiliation. They invented this new environmentalism concept. And I remember thinking to myself 15 years ago, this, you know, people aren't this dumb. Then they're never going to be able to get away with this uh, this transformation. Obviously, they've just switched their, their shtick um, for, 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 for political expediency. But people are too astute. Sadly, that's not true. Um, and what, what started off as an opportunity to get failed politicians fighting a failed ideology to keep them in the game it has now become it has grown very much to become steve a false synthetic uh, pseudo religion that's absolutely true and of course yeah human nature being 
but it is seeing as we're created by God and to love and adore and to worship God, Jesus Christ. If you don't do that, if you don't have Jesus Christ at the centre of your life, if you don't even have one of the other religions uh, that are there uh, throughout, throughout human history, that you will believe something because we've been made by God to respond to an existential call. And if you don't take one of the standard uh, explanations that are, that are there, you will believe anything. And that ought to be the that ought to be the lesson of, of the 20th century. I'm, I'm not sure how much people have, have, have uh, learned that those lessons, but that's absolutely the case. Environmentalism today is a false religion. Uh, it has its priests, it has its sacrifices, has all the paraphernalia of a false religion. Um, you know, I would suggest I would suggest that, I, that, 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 that there's the sense of sulfur around this simply because it is distracting people instead of worshipping God, worshipping Jesus Christ, to be worshipping th that which is created rather than that which is the creator. Ben, uh, what is your social media? <clears throat> we'll look back getting you on tomorrow or Monday on the Ukraine situation. A lot to go on there. I know you're on top of it. Uh, where do people follow you on social media? Thank you so much, Steve. Uh, Warroom.org is the first port of call uh, where myself, Jarl and Natalie Winters were pushing out exclusive articles on that. Please, if you haven't done it already, do subscribe for those newsletters. On Getter, you can either come to me at Harnwell, there's my name there at the bottom, my surname, Harnwell, that's the profile name. Or, you know, you could even sort of check me out because Stephen K. Bannon does repost me occasionally on his site. Go to at Steve Bannon uh, and I'll also, you'll find my posts there as well. I'm, the reason I do it, I'm quite jealous that uh, that his gets a lot get a, has a lot more engagement than mine. I think it's part of the things of him reading all the comments and engaging with the audience. Ben, great job, honored to have you on here. Thank you for coming you. in from Rome, Dave Go Walsh. I, I'm going to have you back on next. We got to go through what Kerry did. You nailed this, Germany, because of the because of the embrace by the elite of this dangerous cult, is rapidly de, de uh, industrializing based upon their energy policy. And what you're seeing now is a revolt of the German people against it, just like you're seeing a, a revolt of the American people against what's happening here. But the plans of carrying these guys, I think, are actually more radical than the Germans. Where do people go to your social media, Dave, to keep up with you? It's at Dave Walsh Energy on Getter and uh, True Social the same. Thank you, Steve. You've done an amazing job, Dave, of showing us what the future is going to be. Uh, quite frankly, when you first came out a couple of years ago, when you first started talking about this, I think a lot of people were thinking, given how how precise and engineering oriented the, the Germans are that would never happen. It's happened exactly like you said it was going to happen. So thank you very much. Well, let's go to the UK. We get, the BP is advancing their relationship with Sonatrach in Algeria to bring pipeline gas into Western Europe to offset the shortage from the uh, Russian stoppage while they're unable to harvest natural gas and oil in the North Sea any longer because of the elitist and monarchy supported government in the UK who's used as a poster child, King Charles, for the same issues on de decarbonization. It's very sad. It's incredibly sad. Unbelievable. This is why I've always been a uh, Irish Republican. Dave Walsh, thank you very much. Great analysis. Bye-bye. One thing, it, uh, hopefully this show is talking about a, a alternative economy, a patriot economy. we got to stop giving our money to people that hate us. And trust me, the, the cult of climate change hates you. Public SQ, Michael C. from the team have come up with an alternative. It's a trading exchange. It doesn't cost you any money. It's advertising supported. If you're an entrepreneur and you want to list your company, your product or services to, to reach the patriots of the country, quite frankly, the world, 
go there a day you can list. If you're someone that wants to buy products and services from people that support your values and don't hate you, go to Public SQ also. It doesn't cost you anything. Go check it out. Check the app out. It'll be an amazing experience for you. Stop giving your money to people that hate you. Also, tomorrow we're going to get into it in depth. The massive fight going on right now in Capitol Hill, driven by this audience, driven by you. You are at the head of the table. You're head of the creditors committee. We got to get you fully up to speed on everything about capital markets. Great way to start is go to birchgold.com slash Bannon. You get the end of the dollar empire. It's a multi-part series, totally free. The fourth installment's out, and you're going to find out what the self-inflicted wounds of the United States by our elites, starting in the 30s, but really exacerbated in the 1970s. Go check it out. Uh, Draw down the fourth free episode. And also talk to Philip Patrick and the team at Birch Gold about what Dave Walsh is saying. The BRICs are not just buying, building nuclear power plants. They're buying gold at record rate. Ask the team at Birch Gold why. We're going to be back here at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning live in the war room. Do not miss it. We need you here at the head of the creditors committee table. See you then. Folks, let me tell you about Solti. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code WARROOM at checkout to save 67%. And do it again. WARROOM HEALTH, all one word, WARROOMHEALTH.COM. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there, do it today. Check it out.